2: Hello and welcome to the New Statesman podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Helen Lewis and this week I talked to George Eaton and Stephen Bush about the fallout from the first all-Tory budget for nearly two decades. Then Barbara Speed and I look behind the curtain at Reddit, the website that produces most of the news you see in the newspapers. Now yesterday George Osborne stood up in the House of Commons facing a wall of noise and delivered the first Tory budget in nearly two decades. He was, he claimed, free from the shackles of the Lib Dems. But what did he offer? I'm joined by our politics editor, George Eaton, and staggers editor, Stephen Bush, to discuss the fallout from a true blue budget. George, first of all, just give me the, the overnight reaction to this. The, the headline that's come out obviously, is, is the living
0: wage. Mm, so there's been some pushback against it in that it's a living wage only on George Osborne's definition Uh, The planned level of 720 for next year falls below the current voluntary living wage rate of 785. um, And that obviously excludes London. And the other key point that Labour and campaigners are making is that the current living wage rates take into account in work benefits. They assume that support will be given to those in work. And of course, uh, George Osborne has made significant cuts to tax credits. I was
2: astonished to look at, I mean, the Daily Mail do a very, I don't know where they get their figures from. Even when I worked there, I never knew where they got their figures from. They would just sort of appear. I presume they come from the red book. They, um, the kind of how different, um, you know, families are affected. And it said, you know, high-earning couple, you know, plus two hundred pounds a week pensioner couple plus a couple hundred pounds. Low-income jeweler in a family with children losing two and a half thousand pounds a year. And that, to me, that's that's serious money that people are going to feel in their pockets. Is that is that really going to, you know, is that really going to continue that the narrative of this this budget is going to be
0: osborne attacks the scourge of low pay yes i mean i think that is the big question everyone's recognized yesterday's budget was very politically smart and undoubtedly the living wage did give him some cover and you can see how it took the wind out of Labour's sails as they tried to um attack his cuts to tax credits but yes there are a lot of people who are going to be poor as a result of the budget who will not be compensated or anywhere anything close to it from the tax cuts the rise in the personal allowance and this new um Living wage, but whether that will harm the Tories significantly is is an open question, because there was, of course, a lot of pain in the last Parliament. People's tax credits were were cut. Then um, there was anger about austerity, but it didn't translate into a, a victory for Labour. And I think that's why you saw in her response yesterday, Harriet Harman doesn't want Labour just to appear a repository of protest, but to be a responsible opposition party. And that means they are going to oppose most of the cuts to tax credits. But they will support measures like the benefit cap, the budget surplus law, and uh, the public sector 1% pay cap.
2: And Stephen, for the withdrawal of tax credits, the rationale is that, in fact, actually, by subsidising employers to be able to employ people on low wages, they they've, they've encouraged employers to get away with it. Essentially, the idea that taking them away will some. What is the process by which, at that point, employers start paying better wages? Is it because they just simply can't get any staff? Is that the? And how long will that take to tr- actually trickle through? after people have experienced the cut in the tax cuts.
1: I suppose that, yeah, the, the, the theory is that you can effectively create moral hazard with tax credits, that you are incentivising employers to pay less than uh, their employees need to to live on. You would expect some people will, some businesses will make up the difference through wage rises, because they'll have to, if, say, you are a well-known electronic shop who needs you know, people who are reasonably chirpy, happy, clean not exhausted from long hours to sell your products, you probably will make up the money. The people who will be really badly hit will be people who work for small businesses who genuinely can't find the, the extra headroom for the raises, or people who work in insecure work, so if they work in an Amazon factory, say.
2: Well, this is one of the things, and perhaps you can put me right here, one of you two, from a perspective of knowing slightly more about economics than I do, which is that when it was announced that you know, they might be trying to freeze in work benefits for immigrants when they first come over, I thought, well, actually, isn't that a good thing? If you're essentially saying that tax credits are subsidising low wages, why would you subsidise low wages of, of non-citizens? Mm, is that I... madness, George?
0: <laughs> I mean, I think the... Uh... Is there an element of, of subsidy? Yes, there is. And, and undoubtedly, some businesses do need a kick to, to pay more. But the tax credit system also exists for a reason, because wages cannot take account of differences in family size, for instance. Um, they can't take account of uh, whether you're a single earner or or, mm-hmm. or double earner, a couple. And so the tax credit system did significantly reduce child poverty under in, in the new labour years. I mean, that shouldn't be forgotten. Um, And so it's not as simple as just moving from um, slashing tax credits and just and just having higher wages, not least because the higher wages, as we've seen, will not compensate for for the losses experienced.
2: And one of the things that I uh, we were talking about yesterday, and I'm not sure whether or not it's become any clearer, is whether or not the the living wage has any kind of geographical weighting in it. So we know already. I think the median wage in the country is twenty six, twenty seven thousand, but in London it's thirty two, which takes account of the fact that businesses have to pay more because people can't you know, simply things are much more expensive in, in London. Is there any kind of reflection of that in the in the living wage?
0: It doesn't look as if there will be. Of course, um, whether the London living wage is a cause that the Conservative mayoral candidate will take up is a good question. I mean, there, there's an argument um, for devolving power over that to, to London. That may be something that um, George Osborne is, is thinking about, because I would be surprised if they don't address that anomaly at all, that they've said um, the living wage will be £9 by the end of the parliament. Uh, that's lower than the current London voluntary wage. wage rate mm. in London, which is
2: £9.15. And Stephen, I want to ask about this idea that's come up overnight of kind of stealing Labour's best ideas, plundering, cross-dressing, all this sort of business. There's a bit of pre-distribution in there, isn't there? And also a little bit of, there was the kick for the, well, sm- relatively small kick for non-DOMs. There was a kick for uh, buy-to-let uh, landlords. You know, how viscerally Tory a budget was this, really? Um.
1: Yeah, so there was there were a lot of kind of band notes that you've just mentioned, but no, the core the core of the budget was uh, was wholly conservative. I mean, I think to me, not the worst in terms of how people will feel it because ultimately people only pay it back when they are earning, you know, more than average income. Was the conversion of maintenance grants to loans? So this is uh, students, student loans, on low, yeah. low incomes. Yeah. So instead, you instead of being a, you get a top up of extra maintenance money if you're from a low income background, but it's now a loan, not a grant, which effectively means that. graduates from poorer backgrounds will have more debt to pay back up than their richer peers which I mean is equivalent to saying oh well once you're earning the 40p rate if your parents were unemployed or were paying basic rate or were below the threshold we'll just add an extra penny on there because reasons. I I think that felt uh, to me like the most viscerally conservative part of it as well as of course the Further cuts to ESA.
2: I was um I was surprised at such a massive cheer for the commitment to two percent NATO defence spending. I mean that really was so excited about. It. They were waving their little papers around and bellowing, and I just thought really, I, I you know, I mean it's I get that people really like to stand on like a you know a big aircraft carrier and look macho, but it just I I, I find that slightly baffling. The other thing I want to ask you about George in a continuing series of George convinces me of socialist ideas. Is there a downside to this idea that people in social housing who earn over thirty or forty thousand pounds in London should pay market rents for for living in that in that housing?
0: Mm. Well, I think the the case that can be made against it is that social housing was designed to create inclusive communities, and it's um, encouraging the idea that it's social housing is just there for for the very poorest and and, and the most vulnerable. And also, and those figures are household income, so actually. It, they're not huge, um, huge um, salaries, and and so I think by one definition, the those um, in London actually are, are earning just enough to to get by. Um,
2: I think one of the things that I find fascinating, if you look at, I mean, there's already been a lot of discussion anyway about how um, developers get around the you know having to provide a certain amount of socialising within developments, but by sort of giving councils just money for something else somewhere else or whatever. But also, what actually counts as an affordable rent? I mean, we're in the borough of Islington, I think, just technically yeah. here, just by the city. And when you look at, you know, even a rent, so a social housing rent is set at, what, 20% of market rate, and an affordable rent is is much higher, up something like 40%. And the market rent is crazy. So what you end up with is is a huge gulf between so-called affordable housing and social housing, and it's very difficult to get people to move between the two. I mean, is there anything that can be done about, about that, Stephen, apart from bringing market rents down by, you know, having more housing?
1: Um, Not really. It is a supply-side problem. Uh, We have a long-term problem in this country that housing is treated as an asset class, not somewhere where people live. Um, In the long term, it would be better, actually, if the cost of housing went down, A, through building and B, through changing how we treat housing as an asset class. But, of course, politicians don't live in the long term Osborne is a profoundly short-termist chancellor. You know, the interesting thing, lost amidst all the noise, was that he's pushed back his target to eliminate the deficit again. Yeah, he is. He is now falling. You know, far short of the Darling plan, far short of the Balls plan, and you know the terrifying possibility is in, we'll be back here in 2020 saying that sajid Javid is falling far short of the Chris Leslie deficit reduction plan.
2: <laughs> well, that's a that's a lovely note to think of. Everyone likes a bit of Groundhog Day, which I have to say I felt as I saw Harriet Harman again standing up and it's um, uh, doing another answer because the, the, you know, there's no leader. Um, I wanted to ask to finish both of you, George. First, was there anything that you liked in the budget?
0: Yes, I thought the best thing in the budget was the apprenticeship levy on large firms. It's a long overdue uh, measure, and it's so what does exactly a... does it involve? So it means that um, firms will have to um, fund apprenticeships themselves rather than the government picking up the tab. And and of course there are long term benefits to companies to doing this, but um, rather than the the UK governments for, for decades have tried the voluntary approach of encouraging firms to, to provide more apprenticeships. Now they're going to be um, forced to do so, and that's a good thing that will help to raise um, productivity.
2: What's the stick that they're using to make firms do this? Because presumably you say that, you know, why, why wouldn't you just as a business just mm. cut your apprenticeship scheme altogether? Yeah, well,
0: Osborne was quite smart in that he combined some quite interventionist moves like the apprenticeship levy with sweeteners elsewhere so it's corporation, uh, corporation tax. tax is going to be reduced to from 20% which is already the joint lowest level in the G20 to 19% next year and to just 18% the mm-hmm. following year um so you know every um you know he 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 did take with one hand but give give with another which so he it's...
2: did with housing as well i guess by doing the the sort of changes to the mortgage relief on for allows, but at the same time saying but i understand that you know people will be able to pass on property to that in, in the inheritance tax and he framed those two
1: as the sort of opposite
2: sides of the same coin i guess and stephen what about you what's what made you think at george look at george Osborne and think
1: yes i mean i like the but i also actually liked the uh two percent defense target um to be honest, partly because, know yeah, there are a lot of manufacturing jobs which are going to be lost in this country over the next decade. It's quite nice to ring-fence some of them. Um, I also think there is a strong argument to be made for um, keeping our international obligations. We are a member of NATO. We're also a signatory to the various um, development goals, which is why I think we should stick to our 0.7% aid target and our 2% defence target. It's political insulation for the aid the aid target as well, and yeah, it's very easy to characterise everything the MOD does as going abroad and shooting people. It is also you know, building resilience, it's also you know, training, relief, police, training forces. police forces. Yeah. There are lots of positive things that uh, the MOD does abroad, so yeah, I quite like that.
2: But that's interesting, so maybe that is really the story of the budget, is that kind of the new approach of, of twinning things, so mm. of, of always finding a kind of equal and opposite policy so you can say, oh yes, I've done this, but we've also done this and i don't think i can't remember a gordon brown budget that did that quite so successfully although i'm sure there are many things that he gave with one hand and took with the other um but for the moment thank you very much george and stephen Reddit is one of the most popular and one of the most controversial sites on the internet. It functions as an aggregator where users can post links or photos that they found interesting and other users upvote them. The most upvoted ones end up on the front page and that front page can drive an enormous amount of traffic. So, unsurprisingly, news websites often enjoy getting stuff on reddit they also enjoy nicking stuff off reddit um but there is a problem in the reddit ranks and that's why i'm joined by our tech writer barbara speed so first of all um tell me what the the latest reddit kerfuffle is and then perhaps we can go a bit more into a history of previous reddit kerfuffles
3: um so the latest kerfuffle um in the nature of reddit is slightly hard to understand but essentially uh quite a popular reddit employee named victoria taylor Um, was, well, she left the site a few days ago under faintly mysterious circumstances. Um, Reddit users and uh, the team of people who kind of moderate the different sections of Reddit who are kind of volunteers rather than direct employees um, are really angry that she's gone. And they basically suspect that management has pushed her out for whatever reason. And the reason this is such a problem is that Reddit operates on these two levels where you have Reddit HQ and then you have all the people who, use and also the people who kind of run reddit on an everyday kind of level and so
2: for anybody who doesn't perhaps get the importance of, of reddit i think there was a brilliant piece i'm going to say on the all but i'm not sure if i'm entirely right talking actually particularly about the early days of buzzfeed i think you know buzzfeed has, has changed enormously in the last couple of years and now seen employs a huge number of journalists but in its very early days it did rely very heavily on finding content that user-generated content on Reddit and kind of repurposing it and packaging it. So you found, you know, lots of people who posted something as like Oh, "you only had one job," you know, thing that they, you know, shaved a, uh, someone's head slightly wrongly or painted the lines on a road wrongly and clated them all, you know, into a post where it was like 21 times where somebody who only had one job messed up. Um, and that was a kind of that, that was when people kind of really began to cotton on to how much news organizations were using reddit to kind of find quirky original stories and not many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Lots of things that you know went viral had started off on Reddit. Um, I mean, some of that is totally, obviously, totally legitimate. You find stories anywhere as a journalist, and it's about how much work you put into them and uh, that, that, that really makes a difference. But, Can you give me an idea of of how important Reddit is to the, the news business?
3: I think it's incredibly important in a slightly odd way in that it's not... People aren't breaking stories on Reddit, so they're not finding big news. They're not saying Syria has been invaded on Reddit. But it's those kind of weird little stories where if you thought about it, you'd be thinking, how did this news organisation find out about this girl's birthday party where something insane happened or this crazy cake that looked really silly? You're talking about the frozen
2: cake, aren't you? I am talking about the frozen cake. (laughs) So there was a case Um, where someone had posted a picture of a cake that was supposed to be Elsa from Frozen, but it was... Her eyes were a bit far apart, I think is the kindest thing that I can say about it. But then it turned out to be baked by like an adorable woman who'd baked it for her local cancer care charity or something. And she was like, I know it's not very good, but I'm not very good at baking. I just wanted to make some money.
3: And this ties into exactly the problem with Reddit. Because on Reddit, you're a random person posting anonymously. And someone, I think the post said something like, what you expect your cake to look like and then what it actually looks like. And news organisations picked this up as Reddit. They they believe the fact that first the first cake was meant to be made by the same person as the second cake, and when that wasn't true at all, and so they just published all these stories about it. And this poor woman who made this cake was like, and even that's one of my things uh, that I find really interesting about because Reddit relies very heavily
2: on an image sharing service called Imgur, and things kind of get you know I mean it's a it's a sort of amazing place of gay copyright infringement abandon in some ways you know stuff just gets posted on there, but also. It stuff gets stripped of its context and then repackage with a with a with a with an obviously appealing context for news organisations. So that yeah. idea of, I'm sure that there were some people suggesting this was somebody who was a terrible swindler who ran a cake shop who you went in and you thought you were going to buy an amazing cake and they delivered you some piece of ass basically. Mm. Um, and and that's one of the things I find really troublesome about it is that there is is a lot of it is taken at kind of face value by by news organisations and not really checked and that's particularly troublesome when you know that so many parts of the internet you know I'm thinking of somewhere like 4chan's b-board you know absolutely delight in you know winding up news organisations I've just been reading um, Whitney Phillips' book which is called This is Why We Can't Have Nice Things which is about internet trolling but it's about internet trolling's relationship with the media um, and it talks a little bit about there was this craze that got reported in the New York Times. I can't remember what the name of It's horrible. It was the idea that there were in slums in, in Africa that were so poor that people were reduced to getting high by sniffing fermented feces and urine that they put in a bottle. So this was one report in the New York Times. It was picked up by the BBC and sort of reported as, you know, Mm. in the New York Times, this has been said. It then kind of went away for ages. And then after a couple of years, it was picked up by 4channers who decided they were going to try and pretend that this was a thing that was happening in America, that American teenagers (laughs) were all doing this because they'd read about it on the Internet and like leaving it. And then they Mm. faked up photos of stuff and got people to write to school boards and pretend that this was sort of some massive menace. And It worked. And it was a sort of kind of like terrible things on Fox News of going like the menace of whatever this
3: thing was called <laughs> fermented feces, um, yeah.
2: And are your kids huffing feces? <laughs> and and the problem was that it was it was in, in what way we sort of in journalists because it always used to be called too good to check, which was that it fitted into it. You know, young mm. people always looking for something to get high off. You know, they so they'll do anything. It had a gross out factor. It was brilliant, um, and that's what kind of internet trolls subcultural trolls, you know, have always been brilliant at finding the stuff the media yeah. wants, finding the narrative the media wants. And that's one of the things that I find interesting about Reddit is that it's a source of, and it's a it's a kind of meme factory, mm. um, and it creates things that people want. But, I'm going to stop boring you about trolls, because there is another point here, which is that Reddit has not got a, how do I put this, not got a brilliant history of its approach to anti-racism uh, anti-sexism, anti-semit, you know, all anti-anti-Semitism, but um, all of those things. So, Adrian Chen, who was then a reporter from Gawker, exposed um, a guy called Violent Acres, and to be called Michael Brutsch, who'd been a moderator on lots of its most grim threads. So there was like R slash Choker bitch, and you know, all this sort of stuff. Uh, and basically what had happened is exactly that point you were talking to is there are two levels of Reddit you know there is actually it's owned by a, a parent company that's related to Condé Nast which owns a kind of lovely suite of you know, brilliantly glossy <laughs> magazines yeah. um, but there are also the moderators to whom a, the huge amount of work that goes into that site is outsourced to and for free essentially yeah. kind of, they do it because they really enjoy it but in his case he was moderating all the kind of horrible stuff actually you probably had an industrial tribunal if you'd asked anybody to moderate as part of their job um, so the there is a problem. This uh, the, the the sort of strike by moderators exposes one of the fundamental problems of Reddit is that it relies on a huge amount of very valuable but unpaid labour. Right?
3: Yeah, exactly. And the whole the kind of catch twenty two at the heart of all of this is that those people are motivated by the fact that they see it as this incredibly free, outspoken platform, and they're really kind of vigilante esque about that. And obviously, that is a good thing in some ways, but it has really negative downside so as you were saying certain subreddits which they think they have every right to have that this is the whole point of reddit that we can have fat people hate we can have trans people hate and the current interim ceo um a few so this is another kind of (laughs) revolt that happened a few weeks ago um shut down some of these particularly bad ones and users responded very very badly and and basically a load of them left the site. They've now started a petition calling for her to resign because she's shutting down free speech. She's censoring what was once this brilliant free speech platform. But it's really hard. You can see that it's hard to turn around and say, oh well, you've done all this hard work, but we're gonna. But it's also quite a good reflection of
2: that internet dictum, which is, you know, if you're, I think it was coined in regards to comment sections but it employs with forums as well which is like if your site is full of dicks it's your fault like you have created mm-hmm. the moment in which dicks yeah, will
3: flourish they have created and that dicks.
2: was the problem with the whole ethos of reddit from the start was about you know that it's a refuge from all these places where your mm-hmm. speech is like so controlled and no one can tell you what to do and there was similarly big when they closed down all the violent acres threats so there was one that was got upskirt pictures and so obviously that's photos of women sexualized photos of women taken without their consent some of them probably were probably underage by whatever place they were in. So they were, therefore, they were probably technically child pornography. So, from a business point of view, never mind an ethical point of view, that's an instant mm-hmm. kind of, oh, I think I'm probably going to not let you post yeah. this kind of stuff on there. And actually, 4chan, which is, you know, renowned as being, you know, the anarchic space that just anything goes we will try to be deliberately as, as horrific as possible, obviously, it has a, an absolute ban on, on child pornography. And, and now, um, Gamergate. <laughs> um, uh, actually Moot, the founder was just like, I, th- I think he just sort of essentially said, you guys are really boring. Can you please not? And so they yeah. went off and founded H-Chan or Infinity <laughs> Chan or whatever that was their the own version thing. of it. But, um, the, the kind of backlash against Ellen Pow has, I mean, it's interesting. It's a female moderator that people are kind of cross about, mm. but that has taken, had a very racialized, misogynist aspect to it, hasn't it? The backlash.
3: Yeah, it has. And obviously, there are always going to be people who will say the very worst thing. So it's hard to kind of measure all the users' opinions on that basis. But the petition actually calling for her to leave, which has been signed by over 200,000 people, is in kind of in its subtext, is incredibly sexist. Like, within the first few lines, it's obviously talking about this very specific incident. And then it says Ellen Powell failed in a sexual harassment case against her previous company. This shows that she's willing to sue her way to the top. She's this kind of woman who's coming in and trying to ruin this really open space that we've had and her previous actions prove this but the idea and it's really depressing that you kind of think do all these people genuinely think that the internet should be some brilliant place where you can be a sexist and that if someone comes in and tries to change that they're ruining everything about your site and you just have to get her to leave like it, it's a bit depressing that this is clearly what quite a lot of the users think where do you think it will how do you think it will play out it's hard to say I mean she was she is only a sort of Interim CEO, and she was never going to stay forever. I don't know. I assume that they won't kind of cave to what these people are asking for, um, personally, because that would just be really depressing. Um, and she apologized. She said, um, that the kind of main administration has failed in its communication with all those volunteers, and they're obviously trying to get those people back on board by having like a, um, a sort of interim person who works between the two levels and is and almost like a union rep really but he i think tries that's to keep really interesting because
2: for for a lot of time before she was appointed the way that it worked was very much that reddit tried to pretend that there was no company behind it it tried to make that completely invisible. yeah exactly so you kind of every so often i would have a jolt and remember that like this thing that i was writing about or reading about that was proposing this like some of the worst mm-hmm. stuff i've seen on the internet um was actually owned by like a proper incorporated company with offices and a media company no less. and a, yeah. you know and, and presumably like a coffee machine and stuff like that because it was very much I mean 4chan is as far as I know just like is, is not commercialized in in any sort of sense but mm. the other thing that's was fascinating was the fact that you know reddit is worth a huge amount even if not necessarily in kind of market value but in terms of the traffic it delivers to news sites mm. i mean you know we've seen it here that if you get something on the front page of reddit then you know nail down your server because it's going to get pretty hot mm. it's it's astonishing in how it's importance in the news landscape and yet it doesn't it sort of flies
3: totally below the radar But yeah, I mean, this was something that was kind of at the heart of the most recent problem, because one thing that people were saying was that Victoria Taylor had resisted Reddit's attempts to commercialise the section that she looked after, which is called Ask Me Anything, which is one of the sites most popular and kind of most mainstream sections in that it has President Obama being asked questions by Reddit users, and it's kind of It's sort of the nice side of Reddit, really, and it has this kind of great internet openness and it's also interacting with the real world and people are verified so that you know who Mm. you're talking to. Um, And so, yeah, there was a suggestion that the administration was trying to kind of get money out of this section's popularity and that she didn't like this so the way that the other moderators kind of rallied behind her is quite interesting kind of reason, is it,
2: to have, if 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 reddit as no. a company this is what i mean about kind of hiding the kind of corporate structure mm-hmm. of it because if you're a mo- uh, an unpaid moderator i'm sure many of these people are spending you know, 20 hours a week moderating it and, and some least, of that you do yeah. for the love but at some point you think people must turn around and go well hang on a minute you're making someone's making a huge amount of money this and i'm not getting anything it's very hard to run that kind of communitarian ethos when somebody is i mean wikipedia has its own problems with with recruiting moderators and who the makeup of those moderators but at least it's got a very clear top to bottom ethos that nobody's making a huge amount of of money out of it everybody's doing it because they believe that it is a sort of a utopian project Mm. it's harder to make that case with regards to reddit i suppose
3: yeah and that's why i think the company's next moves will be really interesting because obviously what they want to do next is to turn this into more of a viable business to make it because it's it's silly really to let this like huge amount of kind of momentum go to waste but they need to do it in such a way that they're not alienating i mean the ft i think did quite an interesting graphic just kind of asking that question like how does reddit carry on without alienating its core users because really i mean again if it wants to grow that user base it needs to grow beyond the people that think that sexism on the internet is great it needs to not be scary and not be quite as unregulated as it is at the moment well it won't be able to get so, display
2: advertising or well, exactly native advertising yeah, on because advertisers porn, yeah. are incredibly sketchy and nervous about what they'll put their ads next to i mean i've read mm. of a couple of companies that won't put their ads next to the rihanna video for example and that's and that's that happens you know that happens a huge amount it's one of the things that i think as as a news organization is is something that we don't talk about enough is actually how much of the general landscape is shaped by what people will put their ads next to and what kind of content they prefer to be seen mm-hmm. next to and because we all rely on advertising money to sustain ourselves what that you know what that is, pressure is it drives us in but in the case of reddit i think it probably drives it in quite a good direction because people go hmm actually you know um, I don't want to be on, like, advertising my <laughs> nice, I don't know, picnic hampers on r slash rape ass or whatever. Yeah. And that that is going to become a hard decision. You know, does the company pick advertisers over users? And the users that probably, you know, are, are on those subreddits are, are the most vocal because they feel in this weird way, they feel marginalised. They feel Mm. that there's nowhere else on the internet where you can just sit around and be a massive racist. Which they think is, you know, is just actually, they're not really racist. They're just doing it to make a point that there should be a place where people are allowed to be racist. I think that's the rationale behind it often.
3: Yeah, and, well, you can almost see a situation where they do try and take some of those big mainstream subreddits and they advertise there or they try and and then there's still this sort of hinterland in the kind of back end of the site where all these people can operate. But then again, I mean Ellen Powell said to the New York Times just that she can see that it these people are a minority in the end. Like obviously two hundred thousand people want her sacked, but like almost two hundred million people use the site every month. And I think that most of those people, A, didn't really know what was going on, B just want to see what other people on the internet care about. I mean, there's an extent to which you can push back oh, against all your of those core those 200,000 people,
2: probably actually just 200 people who signed yeah, exactly. up a, a thousand times. Yeah, exactly. With I don't 10 change.org <laughs> accounts. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, quite possibly.
3: But so there is an extent to which pandering to them would be quite a dangerous thing to do because what they're asking for is... I mean, like borderline legal, essentially, because you're still hosting all this stuff. I mean, Reddit. Well, yeah, but they're under the illusion that it's a
2: democracy, whereas it's not. It's a it's a a company company. that they're allowed, you know, and it's a space that they are allowed to to be on. They don't Mm. have any. The company doesn't have to let them be on there, but it's functioned for so long as if that were the case to avoid exactly this problem that, that, that I guess people have really haven't, have lost sight of that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I sense we'll probably kind of come back, as particularly as I'm reading a book about um, the internet, <laughs> so I'll have lots more thoughts to share with you. Um, but for, for the moment, Barbara, thank you very much. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast presented by me, Helen Lewis, and produced by Anna Leskowitz. You can find us every week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast or on itunes our theme music is devil with the devil by the underscore orchestra licensed under creative commons
0: trust in politics is broken so can we get uk politics working again that was the last time we were happy 2012 i'm beth rigby sky's political editor Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance is completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.